Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So we've sung the psalms, and we will do that another in a few more weeks. We'll do it again. So I hope now that the word of Christ will dwell richly in you as we look at tonight's psalm. I usually begin by asking a question, but tonight, because we've taken a little bit of time, I'll dispense with that. But in just a few days, it's July 4th, right? So it's going to be on a Sunday, so maybe you'll be here, but I hope you'll be able to do a lot more than last year. You know, uh, I think Laverne is going to have their parade this year, and a lot of places are having fireworks a lot better than last year. But I've lived overseas 18 in the last 20 years, and July 4th is not very big in Myanmar. About the most we could do was make a hamburger or go somewhere and get a hamburger. But one thing I like to do on holidays and, and patriotic holidays is watch a, a war movie. You know, I like war movies. And listen to music. And there's a song I like, and Tim's not going to sing it this Sunday, but maybe you could push him to sing it. But it's the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Do you like that song? I love that song. And you have to go to YouTube, and there's some great renditions there. But the history behind that song is Julia Ward Howe. She's a poet or a writer, visited a, a Union Army camp during the Civil War, and she was inspired to write those amazing lyrics. And you know, it begins with, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I love the very end, though. At the very end of that hymn, it says, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. Speaking of the Union Army, to set the slaves free. Well, in Israel this weekend, they won't be singing the battle hymn of the Republic, but they might sing Battle Hymn of the Kingdom of God. And that battle hymn is our psalm tonight, Psalm number 20. Psalm number 20, if you would turn there. And we will read it. Psalm number 20, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Let's pray. Father, we just ask tonight that you would open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in the Psalms. May we leave here today better prepared to know more about you and what it is as your believers we are to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight's psalm has a superscription, very simple. It just says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So everybody believes David wrote it. It's in book one of the five books in Psalms. And David wrote, probably wrote all 41 of the psalms in book one, but at least 37 of them have his name attached to it. And David would write this, and he would hand this psalm to Asap or the sons of Korah to attach music to it. And they would put it and they would sing it in the tabernacle in the sanctuary. Tonight's type of psalm, we have looked at a lament psalm, Psalm 3. We've looked at a praise psalm, Psalm 8. We looked at a messianic psalm last week. And now we're looking to look at a royal psalm. It's called a royal psalm. There are nine of the 150 psalms that are called royal psalms. 
Uh, Psalm 2, probably the most famous. Psalm 18. This one, Psalm 20. Psalm 21. Psalm 45. Psalm 72. Psalm 101. Psalm 110. In Psalm 144. These are called royal psalms. They deal with the kingship of Israel. And the kingship of Israel is a very important institution because it provided stability and protection as long as that king was a holy king or a godly king, and sadly many of them were not. Psalms 20, 21, and 72 uh, no doubt refer to David and Solomon's uh, reigns. This psalm is different than any psalm we've looked at so far. These psalms were to be sung by the Jewish people on behalf of their king and their nation. Psalms 20 and 21 are, they're not twin psalms, but they go together. Psalms 20 is a prayer for the king's victory. They're about to go out to battle, so the people are going to pray for the king's victory as they're going out to battle. Psalms 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving after the battle. They were victorious. So Psalms 20 and 21 go together the next time you read that. It's also been called a military psalm because of verse 7. And, you know, when you read through the Bible, I said I like war movies, and when I read through the Bible, I love the war stories in the Bible. You know, the one where uh, one million Ethiopians came up against King Asa. God killed them all. Of course, uh, the Syrians came up against King Hezekiah. That story is so important that it's listed three times in the Bible. And God killed 185,000 Assyrians. And then even a king like King Ahab, who was not a good king, God had mercy on him, and God killed 100,000 Syrians in one battle for King Ahab. And then another 27,000 were killed when it said a wall fell on them. So there's a lot of war stories. But one of my favorites is the one in 2 Chronicles 20. We won't turn there, but I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, It says an alliance of Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites had invaded Judah And they were going to attack King Jehoshaphat, who was a good king for the most part. And King Jehoshaphat, it says, he called it a great multitude. And he says, we are powerless against this great horde. But Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, and the people fasted. They held an assembly in the temple and they prayed. And God answered their prayer and he sent a Levite, Jehazael, and he prophesied deliverance for the people of Israel. And in verse 20 and 22 of Second Chronicles 20, I'll read it. It says, As they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And in verse 21, it says, And when they had taken counsel with the people, what do you think he did when it said they had taken counsel with the people? Now, normally in an army, you'd send the foot soldiers first, right? You'd send the archers next you'd send the cavalry or the catapults or all the equipment out. That's not what they did here. You remember the story? It says, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went, emphasis, before the army, they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, praise The Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. So that's a wonderful story. This Psalm 20, we don't know the exact uh, uh, battle. We don't know. Most people think it is King David, and we know David had eight or nine military conquests. Some people think it is even this this story I told you about in 2 Chronicles. Tonight's outline is very simple, just two points. 
number one, preparing for the battle by praying. Preparing for the battle by praying, and that is verses one to five. Preparing for the battle by praying, verses one to five. And point two, faith is the key to victory. Faith is the key to victory, verses six to nine. When we look at these uh, first verses and in our Bible, you're gonna notice these first five verses were probably spoken by the congregation as it's in first person plural. You see the words, we, we shout, we trust, we rise, we call. This is a congregation praying at the temple or the sanctuary for the nation of Israel, but especially for their king. So three things they're going to pray for. They're going to pray for God's protection, verse 1. They're going to pray for God's power, verse 2. And they're going to pray for God's prosperity, verses 3 to 5. So first off, for God's protection. They said, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Notice here we have another inclusio. Remember Psalms 8 began with our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And then the last verse in Psalm 8, again, our Lord. Here the inclusio is may the Lord answer you. Verse 1 says may the Lord answer you. And verse 9, may he answer us when we call. So inclusios are like bookends at the end of the psalm. And quite a few psalms have those inclusios. And you probably notice the key word in this psalm is the word may, right? You find it seven times in the first five verses. Verse 1, may the Lord answer you. Verse 1, may the name of the Lord protect you. Verse 2, may he send you help. Verse 3, may he remember. Verse 4, may he grant you. Verse 5, may we shout. Verse 5, may the Lord fulfill you. Seven times in five verses. And then to knock it off in the last verse, verse 9, it, uh, the eighth time he uses the word may. Uh, the word may is an auxiliary verb, and when we use it today, like may you have a good time on the 4th of July, may you have a barbecue, it indicates possibility or probability. But the people of Israel here, it's not possible, it's not probable. They're a holy nation, they've got a holy king, and it's a certainty that God is going to give them victory, but they're going to go to the temple and pray. They say in verse 1 that it's a day of trouble. Again, we don't know the historical count of this psalm. But the king's in trouble, and, and trouble means that the king or Jerusalem is probably surrounded or one of the enemies has come up against Jerusalem. And he uses the name of the God of Jacob. Now, the, the God of Jacob is used 18 times in the Old Testament, 12 times in the Psalms, but the phrase, the name of the God of Jacob, is only used right here. Psalms 146.5 says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. The name of the God of Jacob means he was the protector of the nation. The prayer is that the great protector of the Hebrew people would now defend the king in the upcoming battle and bless him. The God of Jacob is an interesting name for God when we consider the life of Jacob. We've studied the, the life of Jacob uh, in detail here. The God of Jacob was, is a compassionate, caring God, but remember Jacob was, a, he was kind of a scheming, crooked, crafty guy. He would lie and cheat at any opportunity that would serve his purpose. But in spite of that, God met him, God mastered him, God molded him, God magnified him, and God multiplied Jacob into the nation Israel. So the God of Jacob is a God who loves us in spite of all of our faults and failings. To call upon the God of Jacob implies a practical trust in God. One commentator said, what he's saying here is, here we are, Lord, we need you desperately. We are weak, but we look to you to meet you to meet us in our time of need. So that's the, for, the, for God's protection. Verse 2, he says, for God's power. 
And he talks about sending help from the sanctuary and support from Zion. One commentator said, before the battle begins or commences, there must be a retreat to the temple. And this would happen with Israel all the time. War was certain, and the king would go up and sacrifice, and the people would give prayers from the sanctuary or the tabernacle in the city of Zion, Jerusalem, seeking the face of God where the presence of God was. In the Old Testament, we see David doing this, we see Solomon doing this, we see Ahaz doing this, we see Hezekiah doing it, we see Josiah all offering sacrifices at the temple. The prayer here is that God would accept these offerings, hear their prayers, and send them help from the sanctuary where God's invisible presence was. Support from Zion was the place where God was worshipped, the place where the tabernacle was erected or going to be erected. Let's look at verses three to five for God's, we've looked at for God's protection, for God's power, and now for God's prosperity in verses three to five. And there's three things here. Uh, they're gonna pray to, that God accepts David's sacrifices. They're gonna pray that God advances the plans, verse four, and that David would achieve victory in verse five. So verse three says to accept David's sacrifices. We have an example in 1 Samuel 7, 9. The Israelites are going to battle against the Philistines and it says Samuel took a nursing lamb and he offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. So before going to war, such offerings were made to God and the prayer was that God would remember these sacrifices and forgive their sins. These are burnt offerings. So the men that are going to war are asking for forgiveness of sins. They're giving confessions of sins before petitioning the Lord for victory of the battle. They acknowledge their sins and sought assurance and pardon in favor of God. So they also prayed to advance David's plans. That's verse four. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. The king is prepared to march into battle. Prayers and sacrifices have been offered. And the king and his council have made the plans for war. And they're asking God to grant them the desires of their heart, which is victory or deliverance. Let's move on to, to achieve David's victory. Verse is five. So to, they have here three, uh, three sentences in this verse five. May we shout for joy over your salvation. Shouting here probably means singing. They're at the tabernacle and they would sing, much like Second Chronicles 20 where they sang as they went out to war. And the word salvation here, and we talked about this in our study in Psalm 3, it means save us or deliverance from the trouble that has arisen. The phrase implies that God would intervene and save them and such confidence would fill their hearts with joy and gladness. And then they say, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. Uh, the key word in this psalm is may, but there's also another key word, the name of our God. Verse 1 says the name of God of Jacob. We talked about that. And then here it says the name of our God. And in verse 7 says the name of the Lord. So when they say that, the name of our God, it carries the authority and presence of the God of Israel, Yahweh. So Yahweh was the covenant God of Israel. We've talked extensively about that. So they're praying for the presence and power of the name of Yahweh to be with them. And then it says they're going to set up their banners. If you watched any war movie, Glory, or any uh, Civil War movie, not so much new ones, uh, they would always have a troop and they would have a banner. And they would set that banner up. Probably Israel would have the different tribes and their banners out there. So they would fly that flag or banner and it would be their standard. And so then the last part of verse 5 says, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. That's the summary of verses 1 to 5. May God grant us all our petitions. 
The king and the people had offered sacrifices. They had said their prayers, and now they just give a summation of verses 1 to 5 that the king would be successful in the upcoming battle and that the prayers would be answered. So when the day of trouble comes, prayer is the necessary preparation for battle for the nation of Israel, but it's also for us too. David trusted in the Lord, Jehoshaphat trusted in the Lord, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, and God gave them great victories we see in the Bible. Sadly, though, most kings of Israel did not trust in the Lord, like Saul and Manasseh and different kings. They compromised, and they would make partnerships with Israel. Judah would make partnerships with Israel or other countries. And that's kind of what a lot of Christians do. Most Christians here today know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Everybody know that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I hope you all know that. And then everybody probably knows 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We know those verses, but do we really trust God 100%? We're willing to give him 70, 80, 90, but 100, okay? Often, we trust in our bank accounts, don't we? We trust in our government. Some people do. uh, Trust in a new job if we don't like our job. We go about our business, and rarely do we seek God in prayer. But the Israelites here have taught us a very valuable lesson. Before we go to battle, we need to pray. Let's move on to point number two. Faith is the key to victory, verses six to nine. We're in the book of Hebrews on Sunday, and pretty soon we're going to look at that great Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11, where the word faith is mentioned 24 times. And verse one says in Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. What we see in these verses here is the people don't know the outcome of the battle, but they have faith that God is going to give them the victory like he did for so many previous battles in the history of the nation of Israel. They're going to trust the Lord. Faith is the key for them. Notice here in verse 6 that uh, it changes to first person singular. He says, now I know, verses 1 to 5, we, we, we. So the verses 1 to 5 where the congregation are giving the prayer, now it's either King David or the high priest giving this, verses 6 to 8. Verse 9, we'll talk about that. So it's probably King David or the priest assuring the people that their prayers are answered. It's one thing to pray, right? But it's another to live by faith, knowing God will answer their prayers according to his will. And they say some beautiful things. Two subpoints here. God saves the king, verse 6, and God secures the victory, verses 7 to 9. So first, God saves the king. He says, now I know, know, and it's, he's emphasizing in a past tense, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. So, he's, so the king here is saying, the priest him saying this, so the people, are, the people are looking to the king in verses 1 to 5. Now the king is looking to the king of kings or the priest, whoever is saying it. The word saves here is in the past tense. So David is expressing a fact that the battle is already won before they're even going to fight it. The war is over the minute the people of the Lord sought the Lord, offered prayers and sacrifices humbly before the Lord, like the story in Second Chronicles of Jehoshaphat. They then say, in verse 6, he will answer from his holy heaven. The people mention in verses 1 to 5 that from the tabernacle and from Zion, but now the the king is asking God to answer him from his holy heaven, God's dwelling place. You notice there's confidence here because this is the place where God hears 
and where God answers the prayer. Notice it says, holy heaven, because no prayers of ungodly will reach, the, uh, reach into holy heaven. You all know Isaiah 59, 2, I think, which says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The prayers of the ungodly do not go into heaven, only the prayers of the godly. He then says, with the saving might of his right hand. You know, our right hand is stronger than our left hand, unless you're left-handed. And we talked about this in Psalm 16. This uh, phrase, right hand, is 40 times in the Psalms. It's a position of honor. It means that God is near. We know in Hebrews 1.3, it tells us exactly where Jesus is sitting now. He's, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And they're talking about the right hand of God here. It symbolizes power and stability. So God is going to save the king. They know it. They have the trust, the faith, and confidence. And God is secondly going to secure the victory, verses 7 and 9. And he's going to do it two ways. Not by man's resources, but by his name. So what I did here is I took the first part of verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. And then I took the first part of verse 8, they collapse and fall. I don't know about you, but you remember this verse uh, Psalm 27. If I had a dollar for every time Lance quoted this verse in the history of Christ to me church, I'd be a millionaire. I remember, and I haven't been here a lot of times, but he's always quoting this verse, Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So in World War II, Patton was asked the reason for his success, one of the greatest, most successful generals in the history of the United States military. And Patton quoted Mark Twain. You remember that quote from Mark Twain? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. That's generally how Patton would fight his wars. He didn't care how many Germans were in front of him, how many tanks were in front of him. He would go on the attack. General Patton was a great general, and he'd push his men hard and get a lot of victories. But David's different. David knows the Old Testament, and Deuteronomy 17 tells us that the kings of Israel were not to require a great amount of horses. Solomon did, and a lot of kings did. They were not to trust in horses. They were not to trust in their soldiers. They were not to trust in weapons. Trusting in horses and weapons was not consistent with the faith that God was looking for. There are many great verses, and you can write them down, and, and I'll read them to you now. But Psalms 33, verses 16 to 19 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death. Psalms 44, verses 3 to 7. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our so foes and have put to shame those who hate us. Psalms 147, verse 10 to 11 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope is his steadfast love. And then Proverbs 21 
30 is kind of a similar verse to Psalms 20, verse 7. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So a lot of verses about emphasis on the kings wanted a lot of horses, they wanted a lot of chariots, but the Psalms, Proverbs gave it that the victory belongs to the Lord. Now David had great ability. We talked about this in Psalms 3. He was a great general, a great military tactician. He had excellent well-trained armies. He had those mighty men who would fight for him, but his trust was in the Lord here. We mentioned last week when we looked at Psalm 16, nine times it says, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. You know, the one time, shall I go up and attack the Philistines? And God says, go up and attack him. Success always comes from God. Maybe we need sometimes to look back on our life. Look back on our life and see how God has watched over you or how he's watched over me, how he's taken care of me. So victory was not in the name of was not in the name of man, was not in man's resources, but is by his name. And here I took the last part of verse 7 and the last part of verse 8. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God, we rise and stand upright. You know, David uh, could look back to Abraham. Remember Abraham in, uh, I think it's Genesis 14, when uh, Lot and all the people, the four kings attacked Sodom and they carried off Lot and all the people and all the money. So Abraham and his servants, 318 men. Now it says they were well-trained. They chased these uh, kings, four kings, and they routed them. And remember, King Melchizedek came out and he said to Abraham, blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Abraham got the victory, but Melchizedek said, God is the one who gave you the victory with 318 men. Moses and the nation of Israel were delivered from Egypt, and that was all about God's power. David would remember that, that it wasn't by their power, but by God's power. And of course, Joshua, 31 military battles in his book. And we all know the most famous one, the fall of Jericho. How did they conquer Jericho? They just marched around for seven days, and the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and boom, the walls fell down. And probably one of my favorite is Gideon. You know the story of Gideon and Judges? David would know that story. 300 men killed 120,000 Midianites. So victory after victory that that David would trust in the name of the Lord his God. Let's go to the last verse, verse 9. And like verses 1 to 5, verses 1 to 5 were spoken in first person plural, we. But as the king marches off to battle, verse 9 goes back to, First person goes back to first person plural. So the people now are going to make one final petition to God. It's very simple. Uh, save the king and answer our prayer. You know, we talked about this in uh, Psalms 3. We talked about that prayer. It said, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And in Psalm 16 last week, the prayer was, preserve me, O my God. So very short prayers here But the people, first off, say, O Lord, save the king. This is the closing petition of the psalm. The king is going forth into battle, and the psalmist one last time implores God for protection. The word save here means deliver or give the victory. They then say, in the last part of 9, may he answer us when we call. They're confident of success, yet they're not forgetting their dependence upon God. 
upon the Lord. This is the eighth time they use the word may. Victory must come from God. I mentioned that Psalms 20 is the battle psalm. Psalms 21 is the psalm after the battle. And just look at Psalm 21, and I'll just read verses 1 and 2. There are various, many other verses in here about kings and trusting in the Lord. But verse 1 says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And in your salvation, that salvation will be deliverance, how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request from his lips. What is that talking about? The victory that that happened between Psalms 20 and Psalms 21. So what do we want to learn from this psalm tonight? Three things in just a few minutes. Number one, pray for our leaders. I know that's not a, a, a happy thing right now. Um, many of you, I've had mentioned when I talked about uh, Psalm 3, um, that I've had some phone calls. I've had people say, how do you pray for Biden? How do you pray for Harris? How do you pray for them? But Psalms 20 is an Old Testament text that reminds us to pray for our leaders. It doesn't ask us, pray for them if you like them, pray for them if they're good. First Timothy 2, you all know, says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So that is an imperative. It's a command. It's a New Testament command that we pray for our leaders. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to pray for the current uh, administration, but Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I don't think we're being persecuted. We've given some orders. They're definitely getting persecuted in Canada, right? But we do need to pray. Uh, I like what J.I. Packard says, and some of us don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray for Myanmar. One of our pastors, who was one of the first graduates from our Bible school, he actually graduated before I got there. Uh, His village was ransacked by the military last week, and all the people ran into the forest, and they came back four days later, and they found him shot to death. His body was there, and he leaves a wife and a children. And there are thousands upon thousands of Christians, and not just Christians, but Buddhists and Muslims, in the forest, probably eating rats and leaves and grass and trying to get to refugee camps in Thailand. How do you pray for that? Because I want the military gone, but I also know civil war is not the answer because it just ends up in a bloodbath. But J.I. Packard says something very good about prayer. He says, God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. This is all anyone needs to know. So I just cry out to God for Myanmar, and we can cry out to God for the United States of America and for our current administration. Um, We can pray for their salvation, which a lot of us do, and we can pray that God thwarts their plans if their plans are wicked. You know full well They are going to spread abortion and the LBGTQ agenda, not just to the United States, but all over the world in our embassies. So we can pray that God thwarts the plans of wickedness, but we also can pray that if God allows this wickedness, that he'll use it for the end times, and maybe Jesus is coming soon. So when we look at Psalm 40, Psalm 40 in a few weeks, uh, there, there are verses in there what we call imprecatory, and they're, they're, they're the most troubling psalms because how do we pray those imprecatory psalms? So I will talk more about how do we pray for our enemies, how do we pray the precatory psalms when we get to Psalms 40, but we can pray them. So remember to pray for our leaders. Number two, prepare for battle. 
prepare for battle. When you wake up in the morning, you go to war. Do you realize that? Pastor Lance said a few weeks ago that most people get up in the morning and they don't know we're in a war. We are in a war, and preparation for the battle is still necessary. Now, I know I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd, and you come out on Wednesday, to not just on Sunday, to the second helping of the Word of God, so I'm talking to the choir here. But, you know, remember, uh, Daryl B. Harrison, I quote him quite often, he's up at Grace to You. He said, believers are an unwelcome trespassers on the devil's playground, and he doesn't play fair. You know, 1 John 5 says that, that uh, Satan is the God of this world right now. God is allowing him to do things. And 1 Peter 5, 8 calls Satan a roaring lion. So we are on the devil's playground. He's not playing fair. So when you wake up in the morning, you need to prepare for battle. You know, the principles that are taught in this psalm apply to our individual lives as well as to the nation's life. Only difference is our enemies are spiritual, they're unseen, they're demonic, if we want total deliverance from the problems and power which we face, we have to have total dependence upon God. Second Corinthians 10, you know this verse from Paul, says, For we though walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofted opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought obedient to Christ." And then Ephesians 6, I don't have the time to read tonight, but you know, we need to put on the full armor of God. Uh, I like to, another guy I like to follow is Tim Chalice. I don't know if you know him, but he wrote an article this week called, Why You Won't Make It Without Armor. Why You Won't Make It Without Armor. There's a lot of Christians that get up in the morning and they don't put on that full armor of God. And it says three times in that section of scripture, stand, stand against the schemes of the devil, stand firm, stand therefore. So there's so many Christians that get up in the morning, they're not prepared for the battle. And one commentator said, what we do in times of peace prepares us for times of war. Daily quiet time prepares us for battle. So I trust and hope and pray that every single person in here, when they get up in the morning, they have a quiet time in the word of God, and then they pray. So pray for our leaders, prepare for battle, and then number three, live by faith. That's the key to victory. That's the key to victory. Uh, you know, uh, in a couple of lands, we'll cover Hebrews 10. And you know, verse 38 says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That verse is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It's so great that it's mentioned in Romans 1.17. It's mentioned in Galatians 3.11. And it originates from Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by his faith. So we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for battle. And the key to that victory is living by faith. Many years ago, somebody gave me an acronym, F-A-I-T-H. You probably know it. F stands for faking. And uh, A stands for all, I stands for I, T stands for trusting, and H stands for him. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's the key to victory, faith every day. You're going to go through battles, not military battles like King David, but you're going to go through spiritual battles. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. You're going to go through uh, maybe bouts of depression or times of discouragement, times of weaknesses. And faith, the righteous shall live by faith. So our application is pray for our leaders tonight. Make sure you prepare for the battle when you get up in the morning and even when you go to bed and all throughout the day. And living by faith is the key to victory. 
God gave David, if he's the one in this psalm, the victory, and God will give us the victory. That's Psalms 20.